Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of The Break. I am Father Roderick, and I'm so happy to be back from vacation. It's been uh, a wonderful time in, in Brittany. I was in the north of France. But I'm also really happy to be back behind a microphone and to bring you another episode of my show. It was a beautiful day in Brittany during my vacation. And I was heading for a small village not far from where I was staying with my three friends that are also priests like me. Um, we were heading to a small church in that village where we had read on the internet that there would be a special festive mass on the occasion of the Assumption of the Virgin Mary. This is a very important feast for, for Catholics. And it is the commemoration of the fact that Mary, um, at the end of her life here on earth, was taken to heaven, body and soul. Now, this is a story that is not in the Bible, but it is, has been part of the tradition since forever. And both in the Orthodox Church as well as in the uh, Western Catholic Church, um, faithful commemorate the fact that Mary ha has not just died like we would do, where our soul goes to heaven, but our body is waiting for or the resurrection, or we are waiting for the resurrection of our bodies. Uh, but Mary, since she was the mother of God, had the honor of being already where we are still waiting to go, and that is to be with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, uh, for eternity, body and soul, because, well, we, we consist right now of a body and a soul that makes us different from angels, for instance, pure spirits. And so, anyway, it, it's a feast that I think shows us the promise. This is she, Mary is already showing us where we are heading. It's, it's like the, the beacon uh, that makes us uh, do whatever we can to to get to that eternal life that, that Jesus has promised us if we have faith in him. So anyway, in France, this is a huge, huge feast. It's a national holiday, even though France itself is a kind of secular country. But the 15th of August, everybody goes to church. Everybody, of course, who is Catholic goes to church. And uh, so we also wanted to uh, to participate. The thing was, we had just arrived the previous day in France. We didn't know anyone in that parish. We hadn't had time to contact a local priest. In fact, we didn't even know who was the local priest, but we decided we'll just go there and we'll, we'll, we'll say, hey, can we participate? And we know from previous years that it sometimes is a bit of a, uh, a shock to these local churches that we visit to all of a sudden be there with four priests asking to concelebrate. Um, so it's, it, we know that it's a bit of an invasion, and uh, oftentimes uh, people are extremely hospitable and very kind, but there's always this possibility that they will react a bit like reluctant, like, oh, this is complicated. And there have been occasions in the past where we would show up at a cathedral and they would clearly signal that they didn't really appreciate the fact that we were uh, all of a sudden there without any uh, announcement, without uh, having asked for permission in the past. So we show up in this, this small village, it's a beautiful day, the sun is shining and uh, the bells of the church are tolling and you can tell that the whole vibe in the town is it's, it's a celebration. Um, we know, especially in Brittany, that they have these 
traditional feast days where they will do processions and there may be like traditional music, there may be a, a village party afterwards, but it always starts with mass. And so as we walk from the parking lot to the church, we see that uh, almost everyone is is heading for the church. Um, and when we enter one of those beautiful old churches, probably late Middle Ages, as we have almost in every village over there, um, the church is already packed, and we are there like half an hour in advance. And and it's the the church is filled to the brim with families, old people, children, even toddlers that their mother uh, carries around, uh, and. It, it's just one of those moments that you realize how much the the Catholic tradition is ingrained in the culture of that part of France, and everybody just wants to be there. Um, maybe not specifically because they are super religious, but it's just part of what everybody does. They want to join the rest of the village, and so my three brothers uh, go to the sacristy to present themselves, whereas I had planned on staying in the church with the congregation because I wanted to film what was happening. I wanted to use my... I brought my camera and my microphone and everything so that I could um, register the event. And it's always a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, I know this from experience. If you are uh, trying to film... And at the same time, you're also a celebrant. You also wear your liturgical robes. People just don't usually don't react that well to me just all of a sudden during uh, important moments of the liturgy, you know, getting my camera out of my bag and start filming them. Um, and it, it is also a bit of a distraction. And that's the last thing I want to be is a distraction for people that are there, not to be on camera, but just to to participate in the liturgy. So I I had planned on staying kind of a little bit undercover. Of course, I was still dressed as a priest, but I would just sit with the people, and then every once in a while, I would just walk around very discreetly filming what was happening around the altar. So um, what I then filmed was really touching, in the sense that uh, when Mass started, there was this lady who later on introduced herself as the like the animator of the parish. This is a function that you often find in, in French parishes. Um, it's called an animateur liturgique or animatrice uh, pastorale, uh, something like that. So it means it's some, someone, not an ordained person, not someone who is um, paid to do this, but who does have a specific mission to, to guide the community um, and to make sure that things are are moving and flowing, and uh, especially on on special occasions like this, that the or organization is is well done. And so she, before mass started uh, with the uh, opening procession, she walks up to the microphone and she tells the people that this is a very festive day. We're so happy that you are there. I want to say hi to the parents and the grandparents and their their grandchildren. It's so such a wonderful day and. This day is even more special because today we are so surprised to have four priests from the Netherlands that are here to celebrate with us. And that just gives, it enhances the solemnity of this liturgy and of this day. We couldn't be more grateful for their visit. And it turns out 
it wasn't just the four of us, but there was another French priest who also happened to be in the area and asked to celebrate. Uh, I think he had family. I think he, he had a couple of nieces, uh, little children there. Um, and so he was visiting family. Probably he was on vacation as well. So all of a sudden, instead of having this, this one priest, this one parish priest that everybody expected, you have this very solemn, almost pontifical liturgy, um, which was was really wonderful. What What also struck me while filming the people was that everybody was so kind of relaxed, of sometimes with, with with you know solemn liturgy it can get a little bit stiff and a bit distant but not here the, the priest the parish priest was extremely likable and warm and pastoral and his way of preaching and talking and the way he interacted with the people was so much like a father would do in a family his everybody felt at ease and uh, and that was very very touching and and I always, when when I'm in in a situation like that, I think this is this is how it is done. This is the kind of atmosphere that you want to have in a church where it's both prayerful and solemn, but at the same time, it is it feels like you are there as a part of a family. And so, if we call a priest a father, we feel that he should behave like a father instead of like a a, a regal person that is far away from everyone. So anyway. Uh, wonderful atmosphere. I love the, the the songs and the chants. And then they had this uh, this very special statue. I think it was a wooden statue from the Middle Ages that normally was venerated in a small chapel um, in uh, on the outskirts of the village. But that particular chapel was being renovated. So we learned afterwards this was the first time that they actually uh, used the parish church for the celebration of this solemnity. And before they, when they were still organizing it before Mass, they were a little bit worried that nobody would show up because it was a break with the tradition. However, the church was packed, as I said. Uh, it was extra special. Um, and it made us also feel special and honored that they were so welcoming. Now, after Mass, uh, when we stepped out of the church, there was this guy who was, he was playing uh, music on the, um, the, the cornemuse, what's the, the English word, the bagpipe. And, and, and I immediately saw that it was a, not a, a, a Briton, uh, uh, like a French bagpipe, but it was a Scottish set of bagpipes. And I know this because my dad used to play Scottish bagpipes. Um, actually, one of the few people in the Netherlands that uh, was a licensed teacher. So I grew up with that music, immediately recognized that, the type. So afterwards, I interviewed him and we had a talk about these traditions uh, that were so typical. And as you know, of course, Brittany is heavily influenced by the Celtic uh, culture and spirituality because originally that part of France was evangelized by monks who came from England, who came overseas. And many of the saints that are still venerated today in Brittany are not French. They were English. And so a lot of that Celtic culture has permeated uh, the French uh, the French culture, and so you've got this very interesting blend of music that sounds very familiar. Even the, the local language is very similar to what they speak in, in Ireland and in Scotland. So uh, 
it was wonderful. And what I loved was that everybody came up to us and said, oh, we're so honored that you are here. Why would you come here? Why didn't you go to a big city, to the cathedral? Why did you pick our small village? And that made me realize something very important. And that is that we often miss how important it is to, um, to, to take care or to have attention for, um, for the small things. Uh, yes, we could have gone to the cathedral, but I'm so glad that we didn't. I'm so glad that we were in this small village because it, 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 you saw the, the, the kind of the value in a cathedral. Of course, you're going to have a, a great liturgy. Maybe the bishop is going to be there. You have a certain assumption of the, no pun intended, on the Feast of the Assumption. You have the assumption that it's going to be a great celebration. There's going to be a big choir, organ, lots of acolytes and whatnot. But what I liked about that morning in France was that we witnessed how important faith was and how important this Catholic tradition was for this local village and how much it still impacted their lives and was an occasion for them to gather everyone together, first in church and later on um, it, it, outside, uh, actually near the chapel that was being renovated, where they had this this fair where, where they um, they were making traditional food there were two guys who were playing very old breton or britain how do you have, what's yeah breton music um that is as old as as the entire town probably uh they had um, a, a big parade with uh tractors and other like local farm cars and and wagons and whatnot horses um and it, I don't think we would have had that same experience had we gone to a, a, a bigger city, if we had gone to a cathedral or a basilica. Um, and what I also noticed is how much um, our visit was for this small town and for the parishioners there, um, an acknowledgement that... that you know who are we that you come to visit us we we felt like we were it's almost as if we were, were like uh visitors from outer space you know why did you visit our little small planet we're not that important um and then when i got back uh, to the netherlands i i was reminded of this effect of how special it is for people in a small remote town in france to have these four priests from a different part of Europe visiting and taking the time to celebrate with them when Pope Francis was visiting Mongolia. Now, Mongolia, of course, uh, uh, one of the neighboring countries of, of China, um, is a country that no pope has visited before. But Pope Francis wanted to go there despite the fact that there are only about 1,400 Catholics in the entire country. Only 1,400 and so you saw these live streams from uh, from from the the places that he visited, and there was this mass, and it was just in a very small sports arena, and there may have been a couple of hundred chairs, but most of the place was empty. There were even the the places that they had reserved for the guests. Not all of them uh, had had people on them, and so from. A PR perspective, you could say, well, that's a waste of time. He, he, why, don't, why doesn't he go to the United States or to Canada or to, you know, these bigger countries would have a much bigger uh, return on investment? 
this is a waste of time, a waste of energy to go to such a small country where, you know, the Catholic Church has almost no role in society. Why would you go there? Pope Francis does this deliberately. And he does this also in the, in the way he does nominations, for instance, for cardinals. In the past, uh, it was a tradition that almost every important seat in, uh, in Italy, for instance, every, you know, a lot of these uh, dioceses are, are archdioceses where you have archbishops. And it was very customary that these archbishops would all become cardinals. But Pope Francis made a very deliberate change in who he asked to be cardinals. And he said it has to be representative of the church. And it has to be also representative not just of the center, the traditional heart of the church, which is very, very kind of Europe-centered or has been Europe-centered for, for many centuries. Instead, I want the outskirts of the church to be just as well represented as those the kind of that, that core... Um, that, that heart of, of the traditional um, Western church. And so he asked bishops from very remote countries. Sometimes it was just the only bishop of a small country that I had never heard of and, and asked them to become cardinals. And so they will actually be part of that group of uh, priests and bishops that will choose the next pope. It is a very deliberate uh, expression of the fact that faith is not just for the big countries, for the important people, for the rich. No, God's message is for everyone. And if you look at the gospel, this is actually what you see Jesus do. He sometimes hangs out with important people, but most of the time he actually takes time to just sit with the regular people. He speaks to the crowds, and the crowds were, were just, it was anyone. It was parents with children, you had sinners, public sinners, people that everybody looked down upon. There were, there were sick people, uh, like people with leprosy who were even dangerous and were usually completely outside of society. Um, there were Romans there, uh, people that were not, you know, uh, faithful according to the rules. He had time for Samaritans, which were looked down upon by, uh, by regular Jewish faithful. Jesus and, uh, and the Gospels uh, really emphasize that Jesus made time for everyone. For him, there was no difference between a Pharisee or even a king like Herod or a, a, an important Roman ruler like, like Pilate or Justice random stranger that he met on the side of the road. He talks to everyone. He asks everyone, what can I do for you? He doesn't walk away from small crowds. Sometimes he speaks to thousands. Sometimes it's just one person. And I think that is a fundamental aspect of, of the Christian faith, is that God became one of us to be with every one of us. And not just the rich or the philosophers or the theologians or the powerful. He, the church in the footsteps of Jesus needs to be there for everyone and everybody needs to feel special. Not because they have that many talents or money or, or prestige. They are special because God finds everyone special. God loves everyone and has a... Has a 
a, a preferential love for the poor and for the small. If you don't become like children, says Jesus, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So in the logic of Jesus, even children are super important. And, and that's why he, he picks one of them and, and, and shows the child to, the, to all the Pharisees and the scribes and all the rich and powerful that surround him and said, you have to be like this child. Um, this is um, something that is also, uh, and I think it's, it's probably also, thanks to the influence of the gospel in our culture and in our storytelling culture, this has been a very common ingredient in stories that we share. Take, for instance, the story of, well, Star Wars. Where does that start? On a remote planet of Tatooine. Tatooine is like the Nazareth of the Star Wars galaxy. You know, what good is coming out of that tiny village or that tiny planet? Who wants to be on Tatooine? It's just a bunch of sand and then some some people that try to survive there. There's nothing there. It's, uh, it's You cannot be more remote from the center of power, Coruscant, uh, from, from the, these ancient places where of tradition. And there are no Jedi on Tatooine. It's just these farmers. And who is chosen by fate to be one of the heroes of this story? It's this farm boy, Luke. Now, of course, we learn later on that Luke is not just a farm boy. He is actually the son of one of the most powerful Jedi that the galaxy has ever known. But uh, due to certain circumstances, he still is living as a farm boy. And uh, nevertheless, the story focuses on him. And what Star Wars is doing now, we just saw the release of, of a couple of new episodes of the television series Ahsoka, is, is doing exactly that. It's constantly focusing on this unlikely group of rebels that are not powerful at all, um, and they become the center of the story. Because they may not have power. They may not even know how to use the Force, like Sabine, Wren, uh, who is just one of, the, of these rebels. But they are trying to do what's right. They try to find their friend Ezra, they try to stop Thrawn, Grand Admiral Thrawn, from returning. Um, and it's because of this loyalty that they have towards one another and their friendship that they're ultimately able to defeat the powerful and the mighty. And, and Star Wars being kind of a mythological story or a fairy tale has this same message that... Anyone is special for the Force. Anyone can use the Force. As long as you open yourself to it, the Force is there for everyone. And there, there is even danger in being too rich or too powerful because you may actually try to use the power and manipulate it, not for the good of everyone, but for your own interests. This is what we see Balin and his apprentice uh, do. They subvert the the talent of being able to use the force and they use it to destroy, to become more powerful and to crush anyone who is in their way. This is not, this is not the calling of anyone who wants to be a true follower of the force. So, and it's, it's, it's usually the small and the powerless, the, the, the people that are seen as the, the victims almost of, of all these powerful, the, the, the rebels, the, those that try to stand up against the powerful, that try to op oppress them, because they 
have so little, they need to rely on the force and they, they value the force so much more. Um, you know, it's in the most dire moments in our lives that we actually might discover that God is with us and that he's helping us. If you never need God, then it's very hard to actually encounter him. This is something that a, uh, a young woman told me um, at another moment during my vacation. We were um, uh, getting ready to join a big uh, procession to a chapel on an island, and we had to wait for the sea to actually retreat for ebb because otherwise the, the road would be flooded. And so we started at around 2 o'clock in the afternoon with this religious procession, which was wonderful, also filmed that. And I was interviewing a couple of these uh, young women in traditional clothes, and I asked one of them, you know, why are you participating? And she said, well, actually, I, I, I was never that religious. I grew up here, but I always kind of looked down on, on, on these church people that would do these processions. I thought it was just all superstition, and uh, it just did it wasn't part of my education, but she said, I've gone through some very difficult times lately, and it's in those moments that I, that I asked God for help. I started to, that taught me to pray, and God actually helped. And that was such a, a life-changing experience that I have expressed my desire to become a Catholic, and so I was baptized a couple of I don't know, months or years ago, but uh, recent, re relatively recently. And this was the first time that she participated in that, in that procession that she knew from when she was a small child. She says, now I am part of these people. I, I want to do this because I'm so grateful that God has touched my life. If she hadn't gone through those difficulties, she may not have had that realization that God was there for her. And... Her gratitude came from the fact that God actually saw her in her most difficult moments and made her feel loved and special. And isn't that exactly what we see Jesus do to, to people? At one, at one, one evening, I, I came home from, um, from a walk near the sea, um, and it was getting darker and darker. I was a little bit afraid that because there are no lanterns, this is really on the, in the countryside of France. There was one busy road, well, relatively busy road, but no lanterns. I was there in the dark, and I didn't have any uh, LEDs on me, so I was using my phone to guide the way. So I, I uh, put on the 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 what is it the the flashlight on the, on the phone. And every time I would hear a car coming behind me, I, I used a flashlight to signal that I was actually also walking on this road. But the fact that there was no were no lanterns actually had an incredible effect, something that I cannot remember having ever experienced before. There is no light pollution. So you look up and you see this galaxy that we are a part of, and you see these billions, billions of stars. And it's, it's, I could see the Milky Way, which I've never seen with my own eyes. I know it's there, but usually there is so much light pollution here in the Netherlands that you can't see it. But here it was just so incredible. It was almost as if I was looking to, uh, I don't know, a still from a Star Wars movie. It was so incredibly impressive. And I'm standing there in the middle of nowhere. It's completely dark. And I'm... I'm surrounded by all these lights and every light that I see 
is a star or has been a star because of course it takes thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years sometimes for that light to reach me. And I feel so incredibly tiny and small. And I realize I'm standing here in the middle, literally in the middle of nowhere. I'm surrounded by this incredibly vast universe. Can anybody find me? Can any, does anybody see me? Does God really see me? Because I'm just a speck on a speck in, 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 a, in a galaxy that itself is probably just a grain of sand if you look at the total vastness of space. I felt so incredibly overwhelmed and small. And that is when I realized my previous experiences earlier that vacation. And that is how, how incredibly welcome I felt in that completely strange parish where, where people were... We're making contact, and they saw me, and I saw them, and and it, it was in those small encounters that something incredibly wonderful was was happening, and friendship started to grow. And I remembered the story of that girl who said, "You know, God saw me when nobody saw my distress and my trouble, but God saw me, and He didn't forsake me, and He helped me." And that is when, instead of this overwhelming fear of being alone in the universe i felt very comforted and i was standing there under under the night sky and i said a prayer i said thank you lord for the fact that you see me because this is what makes you so so wonderful and so dear to me is that you showed us in the behavior of jesus and what he did that you don't miss anyone. You see every one of us, no matter how insignificant we are when you compare to the scale of the, of the universe. But for you, that doesn't matter because you don't look with a telescope. You look with your heart and your heart goes out to what is small and what is weak and what is vulnerable. And you lift it up and you give it your force, your love, your attention that is what makes my faith so feel so much like a place where I can be home no matter where I am. Because if whether I'm here at home or in church or in a beautiful cathedral or in a tiny little village church or I'm just walking out there on the countryside of France under this overwhelming night sky, I'm never lost because God knows me by my name and he has counted every hair on my head uh, and my name is written in the palm of his hand it's something to be extremely grateful for that's what I wanted to share with you if you want to hear more of this particular episode uh, there is a premium version that you can listen to by signing up as a, as a patron and if you do that you actually help me to create more stories like these you help me to reach out and to share the, the things that I experience as well as the things that I record and film and edit uh, all the wonderful stories that I encounter in my life to, to share that with a, with a wider audience with you so if you want to listen to the premium version just go to patreon.com slash fatherroderick and sign up for any of the tiers uh, you will get the expanded edition 
of of this podcast. But uh, thank you so much for the privilege of your time. Let me know if you like this kind of approach. I know it's it's kind of new, uh, this this storytelling approach. But I hope it works for you. And next week, there'll be another story. So see you then.